questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Our program today is about immigration. Um, Last spring, I was part of a very powerful ceremony of watching my dear friends, Tony and Vivi, become U.S. citizens after a long journey. And with all that's happening in the news and in the world today regarding immigration, both in and outside of the United States, and the refugee issue, I thought it would be a, a, a fun thing to have a conversation with them, but also an important conversation for the sake of people hearing the hearts uh, of a man and a woman who have been on this journey. Tony Lemus is a program director at El Centro Humanitario, where he oversees design, development, and execution of programs to serve the homeless and the unemployed. Tony holds a law degree from Guatemala, as well as certificates in public management and political strategies that he acquired in Costa Rica and Taiwan. Tony has more than 20 years' experience in the nonprofit and public sectors and has worked with multicultural and underprivileged communities in the fields of education, leadership training, and human development. Vivi Lemos is originally from Guatemala, and she serves as a paralegal at a Denver immigration law firm. She's worked in administration and teaching, having interacted with people of different cultures and backgrounds throughout her life. So let's jump in now to my conversation with Tony and Vivi Lemos on the soul of immigration. Well, I am so excited for our program today. I am in the Restoring the Soul podcast studio on the sixth floor of the West Cross building between the Dillards and the Super Target, and it is uh, a little before noon on New Year's Eve, and I'm talking to my dear friends, Vivi and Tony Lemos. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I am excited uh, because we've been talking about doing this for a long time we were Mm -hmm. at a restaurant you and julianne and myself uh a month or so ago and started talking about some of the work that you're doing and some of what i know that you're passionate about and i had shared as i've shared with many people that one of the most moving things that i've experienced in 2018 was on march 26th (laughs) and you can both tell me what that day was i think it's two things for you actually it is two things. Yeah, it was, it's our, it was our 20th uh, anniversary, and that was the day that we were sworn in as citizens. Yes. And Vivi, you remember that day? Yes. Um, it's our official What the American anniversary. <laughs> it, was, it was truly one of the most moving things I had seen. I think there were over... 60 people being sworn in that day from over 30 mm-hmm. different countries. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually want to walk through what that was like um, sometime during the conversation. because yeah. it's. And I would tell everybody listening to this program, if you have never been part of a swearing-in citizenship ceremony to, uh, to do that. And we'll give you instructions on how to do that at the end of this program. <laughs> Make sure you have some friends that are becoming citizens. Yeah, that's right. But, but you can probably do it without that too, right? You can just go to a... 
I, I, I think you can you can find out if there are large ceremonies because sometimes there are larger ceremonies in big cities where they have big swearing in um, ceremonies done by the governor or some authority and um, I think you can attend. Yes. That's more open to the public. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we're talking about the swearing-in ceremony, March 26th, when you became citizens, and that implies that there was a journey toward citizenship. So, Vivi, tell me your story uh, about growing up in Guatemala. How do you like how I said that? I've been practicing That's Guatemala. Amazing. Guatemala. <laughs> and um, what led to the path of citizenship? So both um, Tony and I grew up in Guatemala. I'm a city girl. He was born up in the beautiful mountains. And we met and got married there. And after a couple of years, we were invited to come to the States. And then Tony got a job with a nonprofit slash ministry. And I honestly thought it was going to be for just a few years. Um, To be honest with you, we had... Well, we still have family. We had professions. We have our, you know, had our own little apartment back in Wate and didn't really dream of coming to the U.S. long term, at least on my on my side. Um, so we moved here exactly 17 years ago in January. Yeah, January um, 5th. January 5th, 17 years ago to Denver in the middle of a blizzard. And when you're born in Guatemala where it does not snow, that was memorable for sure (laughs) a little little bit of culture shock just a little bit so we moved here with a 18 month old baby and four suitcases Mm -hmm. and i thought it's just going to be for a few years and then we'll go back home but that just you know here we are here we are (laughs) tony for you was there any sense of wanting to come to the u.s you know the thing is that we have um we traveled here with my family almost every every year, every two years for vacations, and uh, we had many friends here. So um, I thought I thought of it more of a new uh, opportunity a window that was opening for us uh, in our ministry, um, in our walk. So I was not giving any time limit to it. Um, I. I had more of a sense of leaving home and moving here to get established. So we have never like put the parameters with Vivi <laughs> before getting here. So it was it was a little bit rough determining. Okay, here's where we're staying versus her mindset of oh no, we might be going back home. And so, um, but here we are. And Vivi, for you, what led to, after somewhere along 17 years of saying, we actually do want to stay and pursue this path? I think it was a transition instead of a specific moment. But I remember coming back over the years and along with the many hoops that you have to jump through with renewing his work visa and all of that technical part, deciding that the time and effort is like worth it to keep on going to the next step on one side, but I remember coming back from Guatemala one time. I think Anna may have been, Anna's our daughter, she may have been like eight or nine, maybe six. And I thought to myself, this is the first time I feel like I'm coming home, flying back into Denver, instead of always yearning for going back home. 
Guatemala, which is always going to be my home. But I felt like this is where we are raising our kid, where our community had been established, where we are building a life together, and kind of like that transition of mentality from where is home, actually, for mm-hmm. me. And that happened just naturally over a period of time of being here for a certain amount of time. I think so, but I feel like it was almost like a decision that I had to make mm-hmm. because it's it's hard when you grow up in a culture that is determined by family and your identity and who you are and how you do life. Um, we literally share everything. There's no like personal space or you know time limits or to just deciding that your own family is going to be just the three of you determining all these new traditions and things far away from what you have known. So I feel like it was almost like this, like, okay, this is what we're going to do and we're going to go one way or another because you can't just float around. You have to decide if you want to pursue a life here and what that is going to look like, especially since even before we moved here, we had determined that we wanted to do things right. You know, we wanted to do things following the law, following all the requirements. And if we're going to live in the U.S., we're going to do it with documents. So already we've gotten into uh, (laughs) controversial and and, and difficult uh, topics to talk about, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to talk to to both of you. That, you know, as as soon as you say something like to do it right, Mm -hmm. there's listeners that might be saying, ah, they're on my side. Mm -hmm. Or other listeners Mm -hmm. that go, okay, I'm going to check out now because... Mm -hmm. You're, you know, one of those people. Mm-hmm. And this conversation is not about that. This conversation is more about experience. Exactly. Let me, let me back up. When you came to that place of it feels more like home is in Denver and knowing that there was going to be a, a, a separation, not just with uh, distance and geography, it almost seems like internally there would be a wrenching apart where um, – it's it's not just about people, but it's about place, and there's a letting go. So what was that process like of beginning to give yourself permission and owning that the U.S. was, was home? It was so hard. I I remember a couple of nights where it was more of a, like, literally crying and being so um, heartbroken because you are making that choice and you're deciding, as you said, to break off and let go and determining what's what's new and I feel like there were a couple of nights where I had to really well what I struggled and I kind of fought um against it until until I got to that point and I say me because I feel like Tony was in a totally different page of that he was ready to just you know move on and continue on a life where I was still kind of holding on to part of who I am I guess as a person so it wasn't easy it's just hard, even as we just celebrated the holidays. This is our, what, 16th, 16th Christmas, Christmas yeah. that we have not spent back in Guatemala because it's super expensive, and we just decided this is going to be our thing. Family has come and spent Christmas with us several years, which has been great. But there's always that longing of I am missing out on what I have known. And raising a, a kid who is totally culturally American even though she was born in Guatemala, and then she has those, both identities, that third culture. And I, I wish she was part of this conversation because she has got so much fire inside of her and has recently embraced wanting to uh, pursue working in justice arenas around yes. immigration and, and topics such as that. Tony, I want 
to present this question, and then Vivi, I'll let you take some time to think about your answer. I'll come back to you. But what, in the process of coming to realize that you wanted to live permanently in the U.S., what did the United States of America represent to you? I think the moment that we decided to move um, and the fact that we it was not only the two of us moving here, but um, we were bringing our daughter. Um, I think even though it was not a conscious decision at the moment, um, I think that you you bear the responsibility of uh, bringing up um, a child into a different culture. Um, and so for me, looking at my daughter being raised here, uh, instilling in her values that are similar and sometimes different from how we were raised, um, gave me a perspective of if I am establishing my base, if I am establishing my home here, um, it has to be permanent. Um, not only because it will give us a, a, a space of, of growing up roots here in, in, in the U.S., but also understanding that I was raising my daughter and she was seeing um, Denver as home. So uh, in growing up and building a community and creating uh, this, this security uh, of, of having people around you um, that we were even able to, to experience uh, when trials came and difficulties came uh, in circumstances that in any other um, moment would have just uprooted us and taken us to a different place, and we were willing to stay because this was home. Um, and so when not only you're establishing your roots here and deciding that this is home, but then it's also the part where, okay, if this is your home, if this is your community, what are you going to do in that community to uplift that community, to make that community better? Um, and so I think those different things, when they were being uh, put together, it's where for us it was just, for me, it was so important to, um, to determine, yeah, this is home. This is home, and I'm and, and and you know it's funny when when I was thinking of um, that we were gonna come here and talk about the, all these issues, and I was thinking, okay, March twenty sixth is when we were sworn in as American citizens, but for me, America had been home way before then, and little by little, I was starting to feel American, even though I was not uh, a sworn in citizen. So the swearing-in ceremony was almost like the the, the uh, final moment where it became official exactly. to what was already in your exactly. heart. Exactly. So it's not like, oh, that's the start. It is the start for many things uh, that we can talk about later, but it was more a continuation, like the kind of like the graduation. I uh, will make no apologies or try to hide the fact that I have – very strong opinions uh, on, on um, uh, 
this whole topic, which are a little bit leaning to the left, probably not just a little bit. Um, but there will be listeners who don't share that perspective. And one of my desires is to help people mm-hmm. hear stories of real people, not just somebody that they see on their smartphone or not just some some story that you hear about that's uh, off in the distance. Um, one of the things that really shook me was in the process of your family becoming citizens, um, there were moments of real anxiety, especially mm-hmm. with the new uh, president and mm-hmm. some of the policies, even approaching mm-hmm. Donald Trump being elected. Mm-hmm. You all came here on a work visa. You eventually uh, became permanent residents mm-hmm. or got a green card. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then when was it, about four or five years ago that you slowly started the process of citizenship? So we started we started the the uh, with a professional visa professional work visa, uh, which is a H one B. A lot of people have heard of those, uh, and you got to renew it after three years, and then it's it's a long process when you get uh, your permanent residency, uh, and then you have to wait at least five years after you get your residency to apply for citizenship, or three years if it's through marriage. Oh, or three years if it's through marriage. Yeah. And um, and so it was a long process. Um, what made it hard is many times when you're in, in the middle of the process, laws changed, requirements uh, changed. And so sometimes it takes you back to needing to, to add new forms, fill out new forms, uh, uh, comply with requirements, and that those days and weeks and months start adding up. Uh, but especially the last part, the citizenship uh, application uh, one, um, it was uh, uh, stressful because it, it normally the process would have taken us like six six to eight months uh, to have uh, to be done with it, and it took uh, double that amount of time. Uh, what was stressful is that. Um, it was approaching our daughter's 18th uh, birthday, and if if we had not been done with the process before she turned 18th, she would have had to go through the whole process by herself. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was pretty stressful. And there were real moments of wondering whether ICE would show up, uh, not trying to stereotype, but that um, you were in a different kind of situation you were already plugged into the process you had a a significant community but there were so many question marks so tell me about some of that anxiety well I feel like one of the first things that um, people need to know is that when we began this process of even moving here with the work visa we started back in Guatemala because that's you know where we started and we had pretty good attorneys here in Denver, immigration attorneys working for our process, which is a luxury that not everybody can afford. So again, I, I know I mentioned this before, we had decided if we're going to move with his work visa, we're gonna do things right, air quotes. We're going to follow the process, we're going to make sure that we do this because we are you know, believers and we're supposed to do everything according to the law. So. As time progressed and so much money was spent on that, like time, effort, money, so much money. And then finally we got to uh, become uh, residents, which we were holding our green card. And then we waited the five years. We got to the point where we did not have more money to hire more attorneys to become citizens. And because we didn't really have like 
all these red flags that could happen when you are to become a citizen. You, I mean, you kind of have to be following the law and not have a criminal record and not have deportations and all these things. We could just go ahead and apply ourselves. So we were going through a pretty stressful time in our family, you know. So what we decided is that I was going to take over and I was going to do my homework and fill out the paperwork. Tony, that he was working nights during that time. So it was just, you know, better for me to go ahead and do it. And then we, I started diving into books and figuring out how we're going to do this and do this right. And I remember it took three or four different editions by the time we started the process and gather up the money with the help of our friends, which is like 765 bucks per person, I feel like. Plus, like, $85. So it's just, like, a lot of money for a family of three. Um, We were incredibly blessed to have friends and strangers just rally around us and say, hey, you need to become citizens. You need to do this now. We'll help you. I feel like um, one of the things that has changed, I'm going to go back in time for a little bit here, is the way that we started seeing other people who were immigrants who were in a different position once we were here in the States. As Tony mentioned, you know, when you have a tourist visa and you come to the U.S. and you do all the touristy things and fun things and then you go back home and then you're fine. Um, But when we moved here and started traveling around the U.S. working with Spanish and Portuguese-speaking communities and churches, and then you realize that your hosts that are just giving the, the best bedroom that they have and the best meal that they can share live in a situation where they just don't have documents. And they they were, you know, God-fearing, amazing people that had a totally different story. I feel like that's where Tony and my perspective started changing and how do you view people. Um, I feel like there's nothing worse than immigrants, in my opinion, and this is going to sound harsh, that define the us versus them when you're an immigrant. It's like you're not doing things right you, you know, aren't documented, you should blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it's even, in my perspective, worse than people who think that getting your documents ready uh, is like going to the DMV, filling out a form, getting a ticket, and waiting for stuff to come in the mail. I feel like both parts are based in ignorance. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I feel like we were part of that you know, I'm going to stand here in my little high chair and just emit an opinion based on my own experience without understanding the reality of the vast majority of immigrants that come to this country. I remember being at your home maybe five years ago for Thanksgiving dinner, and you guys have the most amazing Thanksgiving dinners and great, great food. Shout out to Vivi's Cooking and yeah. Gourmet uh, Bon appetit would be a, a, a <laughs> here I go the 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 token white host who uh, how would you say uh, in, in Spanish the your food your food is amazing you can say buenísima buenísima <laughs> so um, Thanksgiving five years ago Tony you and I were having a conversation and uh, I remember I remember wanting to understand but a little bit surprised because you're in a different place now than you were then but this idea of hey we you know we came here and we did it right and we hired lawyers and all that and that's that's admirable because there is a way to do that but 
uh, you're in a different place now. So talk about that from your perspective. Well, to understand what where I was coming from, uh, I need to share that. Um, you were simply a right-wing bigot. <laughs> You're too judgmental, Michael. Uh, no, um, I'm, I'm my profession is I am an, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a lawyer. So I went to law school in Guatemala. Uh, I practiced law in Guatemala, and um, that's uh, long ago. I'm not practicing law anymore, but uh, that's my training. That's my my uh, my background, and so the way that I saw. Um, life and our, our um, my um, immigrating to to the U.S. was from that perspective, and so um, I would have never been able to move here without having all my ducks in a row and just having everything uh, right. And that was my perspective as well. I was always thinking, how can you do that? How can you move here if you don't have everything ready? If you don't have everything in place? Um, and that was the prism through what I, uh, how I was I was seeing the whole immigration issue, and yet that's all pretty much shattered. You, yeah, you believe, yeah, there's there's a right way to do things. Oh, but absolutely. What you've encountered has just dismantled. Uh, absolutely. No, and the, I mean the, the the issue of immigration is too complex, so you cannot see it only through one perspective. It's so multidimensional that it is uh, because it's dealing with humans. It's dealing with uh, the the element of people rather than only laws. If you see everything through the prism of of law and law abiding, um, it's just going to be uh, on, on 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 that perspective. Uh, but you are missing the fact that each story is different, and so um, and that's what that's the lesson. Uh, the many multiple lessons that I had to learn throughout the years because I was. Uh, meeting people and hearing the stories and, and hearing their their realities that little by little started to change me from seeing things from the black and white of laws to how they would be adapted to each reality and many times seeing that um, hearing uh, all these people that are telling you, I want to make everything right, but I'm not allowed to. So that's that's the that's the fact that many times we don't see is it's easy to judge and say oh these people don't want to do it right oh these people don't want to get on the line oh these people don't want to comply with the law but if you were to go to each one of those people and you would ask them where is your heart where is is uh, do you have a desire to have everything done right according to the law I can guarantee you that 100% of those people would tell you, yes, please allow me to do it. And so that's where my heart um, started to soften to people and say, you have a story that unfortunately when you see it through through that uh, black and white it, it, there's you don't fit, but it's not because you don't want to fit. It's because you're not allowed to fit in. And and that's one of the things that I began to understand is that there is a big gap between those of us who are given the privilege of standing in line and getting your paperwork done. There's so many people that don't have a line to stand on, a queue to stand on. There is no 
one way that they can go ahead and get their documents ready. And what are some of the reasons for that? It's just the way that the immigration system is built in the U.S. So it's just one of those realizations that even though it's been hard and messy and beautiful to be an immigrant in the States, um, even though, you know, there is a lot of racism, even in our ideal, you know, Littleton world, where if you speak Spanish or a little too loud at the store, you still get stared down, you know, and things like that. And then not being able to share with family, you know, weddings and funerals and life events that just mark who you are. I feel like we began to realize that there are a lot of things that have been hard about this journey, but we still share a privileged position. If you compare it to so many other migrant families that have come here, where there is just no way for them to go ahead again and stand in line and get their paper, papers done. And so you are now working, quite to your surprise, in a field um, that advocates. Tell me a little bit about, or tell our listeners a little bit about, about what you're doing pretty recently. So I am going to answer your question, but I have to trail back just a little bit. I feel like coming back to the whole issue of faith and my, you know, faith in God and my trust in the Bible and, you know, raised in a Christian home and gone to church, worked for a church and all of that. I feel like my theology has definitely changed and morphed into beginning to understand God's heart for the underdogs, for the orphan, the widow, the needy, the immigrant, and understanding the heart of justice that God has for its people. They're his people. His people. His people. There we go. I'm like, hmm. Um, I feel like we have been, as a family, on a journey where our hearts have literally turned into our fellow immigrants, regardless of where they are. But I feel like with that has come a, a need and desire of how do we use our platform of privilege and turn it into helping those who need that. And I feel like, to my surprise, as you said, um, I had been you know, working part-time, having this great job, loving my community. And then with uh, our daughter's graduation from high school approaching, I started asking, what do I want to do next? Um, I have been, you know, as you said, loving food and cooking, and maybe that's what it is. I love kids. Maybe that's what it is. Like, I was trying to figure out, should I go back into teaching? And then this opportunity presented itself for me to start working at an immigration law firm. Now, I have zero experience, which is kind of ironic because Tony's the one with trained, you know, law degree, and I'm like, meh, never done this before. So um, an opportunity literally fell on my lap from a friend of mine who works with an immigration law firm, and they said, we need somebody to start doing some research and, like, eventually growing up into doing paralegal work. Would you be interested? And I thought, man, this is ideal because... I, I feel like this is a very hands-on thing that I can do to help others. Um, I feel like the, the actual legwork that you do for many people is the way that I can contribute to those who don't have the same privilege and opportunity that I've had. And I feel like I'm learning a lot. I've been there for seven months, and I, my whole life has literally just flipped on its head. Tell our listeners a little bit about um, 
the kind of clients that you work with because they're not just uh, Latin Americans. They are from all over the world, different socioeconomic groups, and all in the same place. And I think that's what's, what's been fascinating, especially because, you know, we live in Denver, which is a city, but it's not, like, massive, like other metropolis in the U.S. So I don't feel like, especially where we live in the suburbs, you see the immense diversity that there is in this state. And I feel like every day I get to touch somebody's passport and birth certificate and, like, make scans and make copies and, like, fill out stuff, I am just blown away at the amount of diversity that we have, not only people from different countries, but as you mentioned, from all walks of life. I have been um, just privileged enough to even come and do help do interpreting and consultations at the detention center. Uh, And then we have some people that come to our office just for an initial consultation, and we've had one of the best sommeliers in Denver. You know, her mom wanted to become a resident, and then Oddly enough, she changed her mind. She's like, eh, not interested. I have a better life in India. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and then we have people who have been referred to us who have been working literally in the fields or in the meat processing plants that don't know how to read and write. And you ask them to fill out forms, and they don't know how to do it. So you have people who are highly educated um, with amazing Jobs like, you know, H-1B and very specialized visas who are making a lot of money a year. And then you have people who are on payment plans for a very long time just to be able to get their process along the way. We have people who have fallen in love with each other, and that's why they're here. You know, one of them is not an American and has, you know, decided to marry the other. We have people who are in immigration proceedings, We have people who are applying for asylum. We have refugees. We have student visas, everything in between. So every day you don't know who is going to show up and who you're going to talk to over the phone. What language are they going to speak? You know, if you're going to need a interpreting or not, you know, service, because it's just incredible the wide range of people that you encounter with. And I feel like back to one of your original questions, that's what I feel makes this country beautiful and what it really means to be an American, to be that place where it gives opportunities regardless of where you were born or what family or what side of the city or the tracks you were born in. This is a country about embracing not only who you are and the roots that you have, but also contributing to what all of us make together as a nation. In mm-hmm. one of the things that we have been able to talk to uh, through Vivi's experience uh, with the new job is that there's a constant that all these people have, uh, especially during this past year, and it's that regardless of where they're coming from or their situation in life, they're all fearful. Yes. They're all afraid, yes. and many times, what is pushing them to the to push for their process to go faster, and they're willing to, is that they're all scared. They're all scared of because many of these people have done like we did with our process, everything in order, everything going according to the timing. Uh, but for us, this past two years, what was the constant is that we were afraid. We are afraid that things would flip, and even though you have everything in order, 
they were they're gonna use something and you be kicked out of the country. And what Tony was saying, you know, going back to applying for citizenship, I know this may seem exaggerated, but when even when you have your green card, okay, and you get pulled over by the police, it is one of the scariest things that can happen to you because you don't know what is going to happen next. The fact that you have a green card doesn't mean that you are here forever and ever and that you're not going to run into one issue with the law that later on is going to disqualify you from becoming a citizen. You can be at the wrong time, at the wrong place, with the wrong people. You can be riding in a car with somebody who, I don't know, broke the law. There's so many stories of people who have just like that one thing that has disqualified them from staying here after living here for 20, 30 years where people don't understand how the system is broken and the fact that you live with that fear looking over your shoulder not necessarily means that you are undocumented. You can be documented and still be terrified to death of what the next policy or what the next tweet is going to you know, say about immigrants and then mm-hmm. how you're going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And that has radically changed and be- become something that's pretty horrible. Yeah, because it, like there's examples where there's two kids in the car. One of them is an American citizen. One, The other one is a, a permanent resident. And the American citizen has uh, marijuana on, on himself. And the other one doesn't. But because they're both riding in the car, the citizen, so they, they're stopped. The citizen is um, it. It asked if you do you have uh, marijuana on you and here we are in Colorado and there's not a big issue so he says yes but because it's a federal law the permanent resident that is just riding in the car with with an individual who who has marijuana in his possession then he gets he gets dinged and when he applies for citizenship he's denied because he was part of of having uh, an illegal substance in the same vehicle. And that's the injustice of it all. So before this episode ends, I want to play devil's advocate here for a minute because uh-huh. uh, I think in, in any audience, these questions might be arising if you've not been exposed to actually talking to real people in real situations. Mm-hmm. Devil's advocate question is, okay, so people can't stand in line uh, for the for the the quote right way to do this they don't have the financial resources they don't have the community they can't read or write I hear people saying yeah but they're here illegally or they entered the country illegally and um, it's not our fault that they came here and how do you respond to that um, both as somebody who works as a paralegal within the system advocating for people but also as a follower of Jesus I think that the minute that you sit down as a human being and you listen and you begin to understand why this person is here, things radically changed. Um, I feel like there is the threat of humanity that makes us all be on the same playing field. And when you hear the stories and when you know and you begin to understand what took this person or what happened what propelled this 
family to move away from everything that they know, what what were they running away from or running towards from? I feel like that's when everything kind of melts down, especially when you, as you said, a believer, you go back and you look at the Bible and you see a story after story after story of people that resettled, that went to a different land, that followed whatever they needed to do to just like stay alive and be safe and feed their kids. And when you begin to understand, as Tony was saying, pass beyond the black and white, and you start seeing people as God, you know, his image and his creation, and you begin to understand what um, life means and that God-given desire of just, you know, belonging someplace. I feel like that literally changes um, changes everything. I think it's sometimes an oxymoron that we, you know, as as Christians or believers are absolutely pro-life. Uh, but the minute that there is somebody who is from another country that is in this country or is brown or black or yellow, then we're not really sure about how we feel about other people's lives and family. Where I feel like God is the creator of everything and everybody. And that doesn't change or, you know, morphs depending on what geographical boundary you you cross or what rule you break or don't break. And I think I think one of the, one of the things that are it's the hardest for for specifically for me. It's uh, I understand when there the people are coming from uh the perspective of black and uh, uh black and white the law and looking at things like, well, I understand all these stories, but they're breaking the law. But is there a point on each one of our lives where we also break laws? Maybe not necessarily you're breaking the laws of the country, but we break the laws of God every day with our actions. And in which law is more important which law is above the other ones. Because the thing is, like, with our actions, we're breaking God's laws every day, and yet we are more concerned about the laws of the land than the laws of God. Jesus said throughout his, his ministry here on earth, he said, care for the immigrant. And we, with our actions, with our judgment... We are going against what Jesus said just because we feel that this person is not a law-abiding person. And so by our judgment of that person, we're, be, we're saying, oh, no, we're better than Jesus because we're seeing beyond what he saw, beyond what he has seen uh, deemed as just and unjust, fair and unfair. We're better than him because we are seeing, oh, no, that person does not deserve our mercy. That person does not deserve our grace. So then tell me who is the one that is infringing more the law and the commandments, them or me by being judgmental? That totally reframes everything. And that's a whole different conversation um, that... I would I would love to go down theologically. My question is, and, and maybe this is the end of part one of our conversation, and I want to continue this, is um, from a 
from an organizational bureaucracy, <laughs> logistical, everyday, here's the immigration office perspective, mm -hmm. um, how can we integrate what you just said about grace and mercy and um, that being dispensed equally, mm -hmm. to, to kind of paraphrase what you're saying, mm -hmm. how do we integrate that into policy and things like that? Larger question, where do we begin to fix this, mm -hmm. to, quote, make things right? I think what I love telling people is get to know an immigrant. I feel like the minute you put all of us in this nebulous, threatening word together as them against us, I feel like that is a very easy way to shield opinions and, you know, statements. When you get to know somebody who is in the process, who has been in the journey, when you hear what they have to say, when you listen to their story, I feel like that is the one way we can start changing because policy is complicated. The system yeah. is totally broken. There are so many things that are so hard about the reality that I feel like if we take a time out of our own comfort and step aside and say, I want to get to know you and let's hear what you have to say. I feel like that starts opening up your mind and most importantly, your heart. And I feel like we just need to start seeing each other as God-created human beings instead of all these other labels that we have. Mm -hmm. No, and, and the other thing is, like, we need to come to the realization, and I think we all have at this point, that the immigration system is broken, that the laws are so outdated that they have requirements that were put uh, in place in the 1920s, 1930s. So they're no longer... Um, they're, they're so dated that they're not useful. And what they have been doing is just putting little fixes to the law system that has made it even worse and cumbersome. So that's something that we, we I think we all, are, it's very clear. So what do we do with all, all other aspects of life when there's a system that is not working well? Especially when we're talking from the perspective of the church. So we as a church, when we see that there's injustice, when we see that something is it's broken, it's not working well, we just get in place and we try to provide comfort to those that are that are not uh, being served well by the system. So we see it on the welfare system. We see when with the homeless population. We see it with with different aspects of life when we see that there's injustice. So why don't we do the same with the immigration process? So we, as individuals, there's nothing we can do to be able to change the legal status of a person. But can we as Christians come into the lives of those that are suffering on, under that broken system and be the hands of Jesus and bring the relief to them? Because I think, yes, there's people who are outside of the system. Yes, there's people who are living, uh, quote, illegally here in the U.S. But are we augmenting their suffering by being so strong and so um, n not being compassionate and being unmerciful into their lives because they're suffering already. So by you being very, um, 
I don't want to use the world, uh, the world, sorry, the word self-righteous. Uh, but yes, that's what we are. It's like we're coming so strong, we're coming so rigid that we're saying, no, you're not being, you're not, uh, you're not acting according to, to the law, and so uh, you don't deserve my mercy. Is that, is that something that is going to help them out? Or you're just augmenting their suffering? Because they know it already. They know that they are they are they, they they don't have all the things that they need together to be complying with the law. So by you adding to that, you're just adding to their suffering. What I'm hearing with both of you is an expansion of this word compassion that we throw around a lot. Um, that uh, Tony, from your perspective, what what can be done is we really need to get our hands dirty yeah. in the name of compassion. And you do that through the work that you do, yeah, uh, with uh, with helping people with employment in urban areas. Yeah, I work uh, I work grassroots level in an organization. Uh, we work with uh, day laborers, domestic workers. We work a lot with uh, probably the vast majority of our population are uh, immigrants. Many of them are undocumented. Um, a lot of them are going through uh, even homelessness. Um, and so I work directly with that with that population just to help them out, be established in the community, take positions of leadership, uh, connecting them with employment. That's what I do. And ironically, uh, those people are filling jobs that nobody else wants to do. They're the invisible population. You know, the ones that you don't see, but they're the ones who uh, are working on the landscape of probably even your house and you don't know it uh, just because you contract a company and everything seems like hunky-dory. And then they come and they're like fixing your uh, your your um, backyard um, and those are the invisible ones or the ones that are cleaning homes or the ones who are uh, helping you move into your home uh, or working in kitchens or, working or taking care of children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or doing the car wash you know in this bitter cold weather or cleaning buildings after you leave your office at night Vivi on your side uh, the, the compassion you spoke of was sitting down and getting to know someone and talk with our listeners about the work that you've done on Saturdays as a volunteer where you have gotten to know people from all different countries in a very, very unique setting. I think this would be a good example, not with this organization in particular, but of how somebody can get involved in a very simple way. So I have been um, fortunate enough to be working with the Sun Valley Kitchen. Sun Valley is a neighborhood in Denver across from the football stadium. And it is government housing mostly. It's about six or eight square blocks. And it is mostly refugees uh, that have resettled or or people transitioning out out of homelessness and a whole bunch of immigrants. So in that very small pocket, you have about 30 languages spoken and 50% of the population is below 18 years old. Wow. So what that means is that on Sundays, uh, Saturdays, I'm sorry, um, we do cooking classes with kids. And it is the most amazing, beautiful melting pot. So we just come, we prepare a healthy version of a meal that they know. All the kids are cooking together. Then we share the meal and we clean up the kitchen. So as you've been doing that on Saturdays for all this time, what what has been the impact on your own life and heart? I feel like that is one of the places where I have 
found most joy. Um, I feel like the impact has been in my own life. Just this is just such an amazing place to be and to belong in. I feel like being an immigrant as well and sharing that with our kids has been even greater because, you know, there's a lot of people who just come one time or two times and then they leave. But I feel like being constant, seeing them grow, seeing them own um, so many skills and learn so many just useful things that hopefully will provide employment for them in the future is amazing. But also getting to know these kids as fellow immigrants and human beings. I remember after we got sworn in, we had a party, which our friends so kindly, you know, provided amazing food for and this beautiful cake, actually two cakes. So we had almost a cake like left over and I, I thought there's no better place. So going back to the kitchen on a Saturday with the kids bringing the cake, it had an American Eagle and a Guatemalan Quetzal, which is like Guatemala's national bird. And then telling the kids, hey, this just happened. Like, I became a citizen and I want to share this with you because I am also from another country. And they know that. I mean, they look at me and hear my accent and they know I'm not like born in the USA. But I feel like that connection has been something that is amazing. Um, the other wonderful thing is being able to see, as I think I mentioned before, volunteers from different areas in Denver come and just sit down and share a meal with the kid. Just the way that you just, you know, talking about that whole human thread that unites us all, there's nothing more special or sacred than sharing a meal with somebody who doesn't share your faith or your color or your place of birth but you're just united by a yummy bowl of, you know, stew or salad or tacos or whatever. That, I feel like it's almost like a holy place that you can go ahead and share with somebody else. Thank you to both of you for sharing your story today. And I hope you can come back on the program and uh, we can all stir up the pot again. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Feliz Año Nuevo. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com 